Hey, it's Damon. I'm going to get to the show in a minute, but I wanted to take a moment to give thanks to two new supporters of the Who Am I Really podcast, Erica and her husband Barry, both of whom are adopted people. In a recent email, she said they have binge listened to hours of episodes on long drives across Florida together. Erica said as they've listened to the journeys of other adoptees, they've basically said to each other, wow, this person just said out loud all the things we've never found the words to say. That's the power of adopted people owning and sharing our adoption journeys here on this podcast, on other podcasts, on social media, in our books, or however we decide to express ourselves. Someone else is always listening, watching, and learning from your experience. They're identifying with you and you're helping them to not feel alone, whether you realize it or not. So I hope you'll find an outlet for expressing your feelings about your adoption. Erica did. I interviewed her recently with Barry by her side. You'll hear her journey very soon. Right now, it's time for me to introduce you to someone else. Getting away from them in 2005 was actually the stepping stone of me stepping into a new space of freedom, of never having to be anywhere in the proximity of a, a human being that has traumatized me so much in my life. I don't care if she's my parent on paper. That's what I call it, parents on paper. I needed to get free from her and from everybody else. And so it was the hardest thing I ever did. Who am I? 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 This is Who Am I Really? A podcast about adoptees that have located and connected with their biological family members. I'm Damon Davis, and today I get to introduce you to Pam. She called me from Lexington, Kentucky. Growing up in adoption, she suffered in the care of her adoptive mother, who was unable to be a parent to her children because she was barely holding it together herself. In reunion, Pam found two alcoholics, and when she looked in the mirror, what she saw was someone who needed to change her trajectory before she followed in their footsteps. Pam has done a lot of empathizing to heal herself and focused her energy on creating an organization called Adoptees Connect, to help other adopted people find support like what she needed in her darkest days. This is Pam's journey. Pam said she had a normal life in her very early childhood, but things were flipped upside down when her adoption was revealed to her. She asked just a simple question when she was little, but the answer changed everything for her. My home was really not much different until I was about five years old and I learned that I was adopted and then everything changed. Everything went, went haywire. <laughs> I've had all the questions a lot of the adoptees have and started searching for my, my birth mother at five years old. So my life after that was literally obsessed with finding her. I was even at an aunt's house at one time and ran away to go find my birth mother and the police ended up finding me and take me back to my aunt's house. And I was hoping, I remember being five years old, hoping they would take me back to my real mother. <laughs> so, so that was what my childhood was like, searching for her, wishing she would come back and find me. 
I was one of the adoptees that was always asking about my birth mother. Who was she? Where was she? And I would get the same response. We don't have enough money for an attorney, but when we get enough money for an attorney, we'll get the records open. And I, I would ask probably every few months, when am I going to find my birth mother? Where's my birth mother? You know, I was just one of the adoptees that was really bothered by it. Um, and it was just, my childhood was just a nonstop search for her. Hmm. I had this fantasy that she was going to come back and get me like a lot of, I hear that a lot of adoptees say the same stuff because it's like, we all have these fantasies that they're going to come back. And I think by my preteen years, I realized she wasn't coming back and like the reality set in and I just was filled with rage and anger and hurt. And of course it's all really grief and loss and pain from, you know, the primal wound and relinquishment trauma, but we don't know how to tap into that. And when I was growing up, my adoptive parents didn't know anything about any of that. (laughs) I'm not sure that they do now, but, but anyway, I started acting out and I was just, you know, a really, really hurting teenager. And that's a whole nother story. (laughs) Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It sounds like it was so stressful for you as a kid to constantly be searching for this woman that was out there, sort of, you know, a mystery person. But I wonder if you can just go back to this five year old child. Can you tell me a little bit about how your adoption was revealed to you? Had you been asking? Did they just come out and sit you down one day? Do you recall how it happened? I was told that there was a woman having a baby on the TV. I don't remember this myself, but I went to her and asked her, did I come out of your tummy like the lady on the TV? And that's when she supposedly told me, no, you didn't come out of my tummy. You came out of another woman's tummy. And who's this other woman? She's like, well, she's your birth mother. She said her sacrifice allowed me to be a mother and I'm always going to love her and I'm always going to be grateful for her. And, you know, she made this decision for you because she loves you so much. Um, And that's the kind of the same story a lot of us get, but this is what she had told me, you know, when I was an adult. And I, I know that from a young age, the whole idea of someone loving you so much and giving you away is, just shattering it just doesn't make any sense and so that was a really really uh difficult thing to navigate even growing up before she told me that's what she described it as because over the years we would have conversations and i was always told that my birth mother loved me but when i found her that's a whole nother story but i didn't feel like she loved me at all so that's kind of how the the reveal transpired for me finding out i was adopted around five yeah it's funny, as many times as I've heard it, it it just hit me differently when you talked about the narrative that we're given as adoptees, that your mother loved you so much mm-hmm. that she relinquished you. Because if you think of what I would imagine is sort of the opposing narrative for children naturally born to their parents like a lot of parents will tell you i love you so much i will never ever leave you i'll never let you go and it's exactly the opposite like there's this it's it's oxymoronic what is told to adoptees and it's not intended to be malicious it's just it it doesn't compute it doesn't make sense that she loves you so much that she relinquished you Even if that means that now you're here in this loving family, which could be awesome. It could be awful, but it could be great. But it still doesn't make sense. It it does not compute. My whole 
version and vision of love has been so skewed because of that. Like, I, I it, that's a whole podcast in itself, so I'm not going to go into it. I've written about it a few times, and I have a lot more to write about it. But it definitely does more damage than they would have any idea that it would do. Because you're a parent, I'm a parent. I love my kids so much that I'm going to... I'm going to go down and do anything that I have to do to protect my kids and keep them like literally whatever I need to do. But then the opposite, just like you said. Yeah. So that part didn't make sense um, then. And it didn't make sense when she explained it to me and it still doesn't make sense today. (laughs) Speaking about her adoptive mother, Pam said she and the woman didn't get along. They were like oil and vinegar to use her words. Pam's sense was the woman adopted because she wanted someone to care for her in her old age. She described her as narcissistic, depressive, and suicidal. Pam's adoptive parents divorced very early on, and her adoptive father left the family moving away to start over, leaving the children with their mother. So my childhood was, you know, filled with a lot of trauma from her laying in the street trying to take her life from her trying to overdose on pills from just all kinds of things um, happened that had a lot to do with mental illness being untreated. So no, I never bonded with her. I never felt like I was close with her. I really felt more like I was trapped. I was trapped in this life with this lady that I didn't, I didn't sign up for this and I didn't sign any paperwork. (laughs) So I've had a lot, a lot of recovering to do a lot of recovering from my childhood. So I think that is one of the biggest reasons that gives me the strong force that I have to do everything that I try to do in the adoptee community is because there are adoptees out there that um, don't have good adoption stories and they're rejected by their birth parents when they found them. And that's my story. I, you know, spent my whole life waiting to find them and thinking they had to be a better story than what I, I was adopted into And I got really door slammed from both of them, which totally broke my heart. Like, I mean, I can't even put it into words how bad the pain is when that happens. Not just one birth parent, but both of them. And so I didn't have, you know, it's sometimes different if you have an adopted mom that was a jewel to you and she was a treasure and you had a wonderful life with her or your adopted dad might've been great. And the adopted mom maybe wasn't that great, but he was great. He was your, you know, your joy in your childhood, but I don't seem to have either of those with either of my adopted parents for a lot of different reasons, but I didn't get it with my birth parents finding them either. So it kind of left me soul searching and seeking who I am, you know, post these cards that I was dealt. So as a young child, you were witnessing your mother's mental challenges, her inability to sort of carry on and attempts to commit suicide in, in front of you. Yes. Yes. She, she laid in the street before in front of us. Wow. And we cried. We cried and sobbed tears out our apartment window, begging her to not kill herself. Mm. And she used to lock herself in her bedroom. And it was a, it was a repeated, I mean, it happened a lot. I don't know how we weren't taken from the state, but we weren't, but she would lock herself in her bedroom and take all her pills and take the phone and lock us out. And we would be outside the bedroom door banging little kids 
screaming for her mom not to die, thinking that we're just like these horrible kids. She wants to die and leave us out. You're banging on her door. Right. You know, you that's traumatic. I mean, trauma. And so, yeah, I and, mean, I have vivid memories of that. And you never, did you ever see your adopted father again? After the we did see him. We saw him every other weekend and during holidays. I do have part of the story with that that household was uh, childhood sexual abuse from an older stepbrother where there were many good memories where I could go out and play in nature and go play in the cornfields and be free to be a kid. However, there was this backside of this childhood sexual abuse from an older stepbrother that I basically was forced to keep hidden for most of my childhood. And then I got old enough where I didn't want to go anymore to see my dad and I tried to share with them the details of my experience, and it was literally swept under the rug three times in my lifetime. And so because of that, I've basically um, severed ties with them and kind of annulled my adoption in my own way. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. So you came forward three times, and not one time was your position as a victim validated or believe never 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 no they just completely ignored me and now that i have shut the door for my own mental health and peace of mind and sanity because like i didn't like i said i didn't sign any paperwork i did not sign up for this if it was a biological family i don't care who it is i think there's different dynamics when you're an adoptee because you know everybody expects the adoptees to go to these wonderful loving homes and there's no guarantee of that there's literally no guarantee of any adoptee going to a wonderful loving home adopted parents divorce adopted kids are sexually and emotionally abused they are you know <laughs> murdered <laughs> you know there there's a lot of different dynamics to that pam has alluded to her sibling 11 months older than herself sharing the trauma of growing up in their mother's home I I wondered if they were bonded as adoptees in trauma, whether they were similar or different kids from one another, and what their relationship was like. My adopted mom was a professional at mental mind games, manipulation and triangulation tactics. So she would set up all of these different scenarios almost on a daily basis where my adopted sister and I would fight against each other. She would set us up where there was one adoptee was the good adoptee and the other one was the bad adoptee. And we... We would fight, but it was always her stirring the pot. So honestly, we never had a chance at being sisters. And she was adopted from a different family. I was adopted from a different family. And we never once in our whole entire lives talked about our adoption experiences ever. And we don't, we don't have a relationship today because we view our childhoods and our lives very, very differently. And I, I don't say that the way that she views it is right or wrong, that, that she's totally entitled to view it the way that she wants to, but she doesn't seem to be able to respect the fact that I view it totally differently and want to sever ties in a lot of ways for my recovery, mental health, and all of that. So, so yeah, and then the three adopted stepbrothers, the one that, you know, I had experiences with sexually abusing me as young, I obviously have no relationship with him, and... One of them had passed away, and then the other one, we still communicate a little bit through text messaging. And that's about it. I don't I don't have strong relationships um, with anyone in my adoptive family except for a cousin. Mm-hmm. Wow. That mm-hmm. is really unbelievable. 
But I'm, I mean, I have to say, I'm glad to hear that you recognized your own mental health required that severed tie it, you yes. know, to get away from toxicity. You, you went into self-preservation, which was exactly yes. what you needed. And, yes. and you got away. Can you tell me a little bit about how you sort of built up to this time when you realized, I can't do this with these people anymore. I'm out of here. I can tell you the exact situation that got me. I ended up, I live in Kentucky now, but we had moved to Salt Lake City for five years. I was there with my adoptive mom and my adoptive sister. And I started, I have three children and I started noticing my adoptive mom do things to my children that she used to do to me growing up. And that's when I knew that I had to get away from her. And I basically, in my mind, it was an escape. I mean, it was, it was an escape. I didn't have any help. I didn't, I, I packed up a 22 foot U-Haul. I packed my children up and I moved all of our belongings all the way back to Kentucky and stayed um, with my twins grandma in one bedroom. I didn't have a car. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anywhere to live. I didn't have money. I didn't have a bank account. I didn't have keys to anything and was literally sleeping in one bedroom with all three of my children to get away from this situation that I had no choice in being in while I was growing up. But now, you know, that was 2005. So getting away, moving across the country was the first step for me. I had to get away from all of this, all of these people to find myself. And I couldn't do it in conjunction with them. The other dynamic to my experience uh, that I talk a lot about um, is because it's a big piece of it is drinking alcohol for 27 years to kind of escape the pain of all of these dynamics of my life. And getting away from them in 2005 was actually the stepping stone of me stepping into a new space of freedom, of never having to be anywhere in the proximity of a, a human being that has traumatized me so much in my life. I don't care if she's my parent on paper. That's what I call it, parents on paper. I needed to get free from her and from everybody else. And so it was the hardest thing I ever did. I had a panic attack um, on the way in Nebraska and ended up in the emergency room <laughs> because I was, I was really emotional that it was the hardest thing I ever did. But I did it, and 2005, got back here, spent a few months looking for jobs, looking for places to live, got a job, got a place to live, and was able to get my kids enrolled in school and just little by little started the healing process of all of the trauma that my adoption story has caused me and relinquishment trauma that comes with every single adoption. And so 2012, I stopped drinking alcohol because if, I don't know if you know, but anybody working on healing and trauma work, it doesn't mix well with drugs and alcohol. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> I tried that. It didn't work. I became suicidal. It was awful. So I slowly stopped drinking alcohol in August of 2012. And that's when like all of the emotions and the feelings I had been running from my entire life, like showed up at my door and kind of was like a tsunami just knocked me over. And, you know, when you're, you're drinking alcohol, you don't learn to process emotions. You don't know how to do any of that. So I had to learn almost like a newborn baby, how to process emotions and how to navigate this new life without alcohol and, and accepting the reality of this is the cards I was dealt. And acceptance was a huge, huge factor because I could sit and wallow in the anger and the rage and the pain forever. 
as the days passed me by. And I did that. I promise you, I did that. I had to sit in it for a long time. When you think of all the dynamics of all of these different areas from childhood on up and then finding birth parents and being rejected. So sitting in all that pain and processing through it was another really important dynamic. And then uh, 2014, I got my, my last name legally changed, which was a huge, huge, huge healing thing for me. And it was kind of like a divorce. It was like in a moment, I'm not, I'm not related to these people. And, and it was like sealing the deal for me that I didn't sign any paperwork. And I, I, I basically wanted a new name. I, I hated my last name that was given to me when I was adopted. And I hated writing it. And I hated all the memories attached to it. And so those were all dynamics that I took to be able to get to where I am today. You don't just wake up one day and everything's just perfect. In 2017... Pam had reached a very dark place at the very bottom of her emotional roller coaster. Four major life events happened in the span of just a few months. Her adoptive mother had passed away. She had found a brother, built a five-year relationship with the man, then did a DNA test only to learn he was not her brother. The most positive part of that time of her life had been snatched away as she described it. As if things couldn't get any worse, a few months after they were confirmed to have no blood relation, he was killed in a motorcycle accident. I was planning my own suicide. And I was trying to plan in my mind, how can I get out of here? I, I went through all those things. And then another thing I went through is I drove all the way back to Iowa to meet my grandmother for the first time in my whole life. She was in a nursing home. And that you would think you would you would think and most people maybe that aren't adopted would think that reunion type stuff is like roses and beautiful all this you know frilly la 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 yay maybe she'll be quiet now um that's how i feel anyway that people are like gosh she's got one you know this good piece but meeting my grandmother that was in her 90s for the first time like set me on this emotional spiral of sadness and grief and loss and it put me it literally took me under where I was just really really sorrow filled that I lost out on the relationships with her my whole life <laughs> and I was not prepared to get home back to Kentucky and have all these things hit me within like a two or three month period and I was yeah I was at a place where I just wanted to die because I didn't want to feel the pain anymore and that is actually where the vision um, and mission of Adoptees Connect was brought to life because if I didn't bring that to life, I would probably not be talking to you right now. Let me stop you for a minute. You have yeah, sure. Like this unbelievable account of your personal history with so many valleys of despair in it. I just I want to sort of pause for a moment and. and Talk about a couple of them, if you don't mind, because I think there could be yes. some serious healing for some people out there who are going to want to know how you got through all of this. So yes. the first piece that comes to mind for me is getting out of consuming alcohol as an emotional crutch. So I asked before how you sort of reached this moment of realizing that for your own mental health, you needed to get away from the family. But now you've gotten away from the family. And you're drowning the wounds in alcohol. How did you reach a point of 
deciding that was no longer where you wanted to be? What what was the what was your thought process? What was your what was your lifeline to get out of alcohol consumption? That's a great question, and I would be honored to answer it. Actually, when I found my birth mother, I found out that she was an alcoholic. Found my birth father, found out he was a raging alcoholic. So when I found out my birth mother was an alcoholic, it kind of rocked me to my core, but I kind of set it on the shelf. Like, I was like, oh. And, and when I found out my birth father was an alcoholic, I mean, a raging one, she died from alcoholism and COPD. So she, alcohol basically took her out. My birth father is going to be the same exact way. And I just woke up one day and decided that I didn't want to die like them. I don't want to be like them. I don't want to die like them. And I want my kids to have a happy, healthy mom, which is something that I never had. And I wanted to be able to look myself in the mirror every day and be able to know that they were getting all of me, not just little fragments and pieces of me as a mom. And, and, you know, I deal with a lot of regret of not doing it sooner, but I know everything is in the right timing, but I just had a really, really significant shift in wanting to heal, but knowing that alcohol was going to always stand in the way for me actually being able to heal. I do not take on the term alcoholic because I feel like I've put in the work to overcome that. I don't have a desire to drink now. I don't drink, but I consider myself someone that's living alcohol-free instead of an alcoholic where it's tagged to me for the rest of my life. And I'm not going to allow that tag to be put on me when I'm not going to die like that. Damn, I love that. That is yes. amazing. I've never heard anybody <laughs> say that before. And just to hear you say, <laughs> I mean, you were absolutely right. It can be an anchor, I think, for some folks to say, this is me on the inside. I am an alcoholic, when in fact you don't want to be. So mm -hmm. if you are, are carrying a label the rest of your life because of a period in your life, right? then you're anchored back to that time always, and you might not ever truly escape it. But it sounds like what you've done is acknowledged this was a moment in time. This was a crutch in my life. I have clearly decided that I am not going to be that person anymore and released yourself both of the addiction and the label that coincided with it, which is really powerful. Yes, That's it really, really, really is. I really want to get into more of sharing that dynamic of it because you don't have to label yourself that for the rest of your life. Yeah. Like you really don't. And you can still get healing, you know, from anything that's causing you pain or trauma in your life. So, yeah, hey, yeah, you're, you're right. I'm, I can't help thinking about other areas of the human experience, you know, where they where a person can be labeled as a thing from a period in their life for the rest of their life. You know, a person who's yeah. been in prison is forever an ex-convict. And it's like, mm -hmm. that was a moment in time. I was sentenced for something that I did many years ago. I lived out that sentence, and I'm now out trying to rebuild myself, yet I'm still labeled as that former person that I was a long time ago. You know, it, it, and there's so many other scenarios that where a person might be sort of continually labeled unfairly and unnecessarily. Right as something that they no longer are. So it's really, I, I love the power that you've put into your own recovery and your own rebuilding yourself to release yourself of a label that doesn't, 
that doesn't match you anymore. That's amazing. Yes, we got to take control of our lives. Yeah. I'm not a label person. I hate labels, so I get rid of all the labels I can. That's amazing. So another one of these valleys, though, was this moment that you've talked about where you wanted to escape. You, you were done, and you were ready to plan your exit. But you're here. You're talking to me. You didn't. How right. did you get through that? Tell me what the lifeline was there. What was your mentality, and how did you sort of – claw your way out of those depths to be this you know model of positivity as it sounds like as I'm listening to you right now tell me how you got away from sort of ending it all to finding your place of being you know being so inspired to do some of the amazing things that you're going that you're doing now that we'll talk about later well thank you so much for that honestly i mean when i was at that low 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 point i had already had a vision for um, Adoptees Connect and tried to create spaces over the years, probably from 2014, 15, 16, that are adoptee-centric, in-person, kind of like support group type meetings. And I didn't really have any luck at the time, but that vision was always on my mind. And in that, you know, period, I had built you know, hundreds of relationships with adoptees all over the country and quite a few out of out of the United States. And I knew in hearing all those stories, so many stories, that I was not the only one in the shape that I was in during that really low season of my life. And, you know, I was I was so low that I was trying to plan something that was going to look like an accident because I didn't want people to know that I was actually in such deep pain that I, I wanted out of my own life. And in those thoughts of thinking about what could I do, what could I do, what could I do, I just want out of here, I, I thought about going to see a therapist, but I've seen therapists off and on my whole life, and I end up always therapying the therapist. And I just kind of like threw my hands in the air and said, I cannot therapy another therapist. Like I literally, they don't, let me not say they don't, the majority of them that are not adoptee competent do not even understand the primal wound or the depths of relinquishment trauma compacted by adoption trauma and all the different dynamics that go into that. So I knew that therapy was not an option for me where naturally we would kind of point someone towards therapy. I might already done therapy since I was five years old and none of it ever worked for me. Now, I'm not saying that I don't recommend it and there's not great therapists. I encourage everybody to explore all those options that they can. But that's kind of where my vision was of getting up, making myself get up and actually starting to write all of the stuff that goes into what now we called Adoptees Connect. And st I started um, planning my very first meeting here in Lexington, Kentucky. And then I kind of put out on social media, does anybody else, you know, have any interest of having a, a connect group that's basically adoptee centric and we meet in person. And I knew that when I was in that really dark season, I couldn't get on the internet and say, Hey, internet friends, come and help me. I'm really in this dark place. And I'm really thinking about taking my life. I couldn't do that because I was too dark and too dark of a space to do that. And I knew that if I had more adoptee friends in person, then we would be checking on each other because that's what we do. That's what we do now. And so my desire kind of got switched over to taking that pain and, and finding purpose in it and taking the visions and bringing them to life. And I think within a couple months after that, the first Adoptees Connect group was January 2017. 
Kevin Engel and I, he's in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, but both had our very first meetings and we've had meetings every month since then. So that's kind of how that transpired is really just finding a way to take all of that pain and bring purpose with it. That's incredible. Wow. I mean, to think that you were planning an accident and were in too dark a place to ask for help, but still managed to find a way to turn the pain into productivity, both for yourself yes. and for others, is right. It's really inspiring. And, and I'm so glad that you did because this is one of those things where the amplification effect is so great. It's immeasurable, right? You right. have created connectivity between other adoptees. And in so doing, they are better equipped to both recover from what they may be suffering from, but also support others. And there's this ripple right. that goes out. That's incredibly right. powerful. And, and I'm so glad you're here to still do that. That's, that's just amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pam feels like the work she does with Adoptees Connect and the 45 groups it has spawned is a way of giving back in service to others. She said the work is rewarding for her and for all of the facilitators in the groups. The last year and several months of COVID restrictions on gathering in person was an obvious setback for groups like Adoptees Connect, where people gather in person to support one another. The groups moved their meetings to online meeting platforms, and as the nation's health gets better, their in-person meetings are returning. Getting back to Pam's reunion, she shared that every few months throughout her life, she would ask her adoptive mother for information to help start her search. It wasn't until 1995, when Pam was 21 and her own daughter was one year old, that her adoptive mother suddenly remembered that when Pam's adoption was being processed, the adoption team gave her adoptive parents the wrong paperwork to sign. Those papers revealed her birth mother's name and street address at the time of Pam's birth. And the, the minute that she comes clean and tells me this, like this, this overwhelming sense of emotion came over me that it's really hard to put into words, but I was really, really angry that she lied to me my whole life. And I, I would consider it rage-filled, that angry. That um, I, I, and then the paradox side of it is that, oh, my God, I'm going to know my, who my birth mother is. She tells me to call my adopted dad. And, of course, the emotions about that part kind of took over, even though, you know, in the background, I was really upset that she lied to me my whole life. And she knew I was in agony. She knew I was in pain. I mean, I was in and out of juvenile jail, rehabs at 15, group homes, runaway teenager, and she knew that I wanted this information and needed it. I mean, she could have given it to me when I was 18. But anyway, within a, within a year, without drawing it out too long, I was sitting at my birth mother's table, her dining room table. They gave me her name. I searched for her. That was back when the library was all you had to go on. The directory from 1974 I had to do a search through there. Ended up finding her. And the first time I talked to her, we talked about 10 minutes. She promised me she would send me some pictures and a letter. I promised her I would send her pictures and a letter. I sent her mine and I waited and I waited and I waited. Days turned into months and she never 
emailed me or not emailed me. She never mailed me what she said she was going to mail me. So I started called her another time. She didn't answer. Called her another time. Never registered in my mind that she was actually rejecting me or she didn't want a relationship. Like there was no way that I could even comprehend something like that happening because this is the best time of my life is finding her. Like there's no way she loved me so much. There's no way she would reject me. And she ends up totally blowing me off. And I just say to myself, I found out I had a sister that didn't know anything about me. And I ended up contacting my sister. My sister was ecstatic that she had a long lost sister out there and ended up setting up a meeting between me and my birth mother um, a few months later. And she said, mom, mom is going to meet you. Like she's going to meet you. And I went and I talked to her for a few hours and left thinking that that was like the best day of my life. However, it was also the worst day of my life because she shut the door that day and I never saw her or heard from her again. Oh. Oh, never. So tell me about you're sitting there at her dining room table face to face with this woman mm-hmm. you have dreamed about for since you were five. How, well, how was that? Well, it was interesting, and I've, I've shared this with a couple of adoptees I'm close to, but I was honestly, when I first saw her, I was really disappointed because I thought she would be prettier than what she was. And, you know, we fantasize in our minds how, how we think that they're going to be, and she was, like, opposite of what I pictured in my mind. So it was really weird. Like, it's so weird to have this vision or these fantasies and then have them turn out, like, because that's all you have to go on. All you have to go on is fantasies and pretend and make believe and, you know, dreams or whatever. And she was nothing, looked like nothing I thought she was going to look like. So that was honestly disappointing. And we sat at her table. She had a drink. I had a drink because she drinks, you know, every day of her life, even through her pregnancies, I heard or found out at her funeral. But we sat for an hour and a half to two hours and she asked me about my life. And I was honest with her about my life. I told her I never bonded with my adopted mom. I had had a really difficult time in the house with her that she wasn't able to parent, that I was a runaway teen in and out of, you know, juvenile group homes and lock up and ran away all the time. And she apparently was really upset that I didn't give her the rainbows and unicorns story that she signed up for. She was apparently really upset after I left that my adoptive parents divorced when I was one year old because she said, if she would have known that was going to happen, she would have kept me. That's the thing. You can't guarantee a better life, only a different one. So me sharing the truth with her, if I, I am a, a truth teller, I'm a truth seeker. I don't know how to sugarcoat stuff a lot of the time. And so maybe some adoptees would say I shouldn't have said all that. Maybe now looking back, I maybe shouldn't have told her the truth. But I didn't, I just wanted her to know that I I really only wanted a relationship with her, and I I didn't have a good childhood or upbringing. I just didn't, and I couldn't. There was nothing for me to pretend um, that I did. So I think me sharing the truth with her, I look now, and I know I've gone through enough of my own healing that it wasn't necessarily her rejecting me. It was her rejecting her decision, and, and how everything turned out was likely what she couldn't live with, you know, being faced with my life story and her actions and then you put her alcohol um consumption on it and she wasn't a well person period 
and so there's a lot of dynamics where I've been able to put myself in my birth mother's shoes and get a lot of healing from acceptance that I, I did ask her about my birth father and she said he didn't know about you and he wouldn't want to. I ended up going around her back um, because I was very persistent in finding my truth and all of it asked her sister and her sister told me the truth that I was conceived out of an affair with a married man who was a close friend of the family, and he was about 10 years older than her. And with her getting pregnant, she didn't tell him anything about it. She gave me up for adoption without his consent. And I ended up getting a call in 2010. Between 95, 6, and 2010, I reached out to my birth mother multiple times and called her, sent her cards in the mail, and she never would respond to anything. And still, even in that time, I could never except that she was rejecting me. I just couldn't do it. I could not do it. And then, of course, alcohol was my escape. So 2010, I get a message on Facebook that she passed away. And my birth sister wants me to come back to Iowa for the funeral. I decided I was going to go, even though she had shut me out. I really wanted to find out information about my birth father and more information about my birth mother, because even though I met her and, and heard pieces of you know, her sharing her story with me, I knew that her closest friends were going to be there and they could also fill in some missing pieces for me. It was probably one of the hardest experiences of my whole life because when you're adopted and you're sitting at your birth mother's funeral and you're not listed in the obituary, it's like a knife in your heart. It's like you don't even exist in this world and you don't matter. There's not even enough words to describe what that feels like. But I did get confirmation of who my birth father was. And within 24 hours of her funeral, I drove to his doorstep and I introduced myself to him and told him I was his daughter, who my birth mother was. And he turned around and looked at me and said, who's your mother? And, you know, I, I gave him a little more details about her. And he said, I remember her. She's the only woman I ever danced with, and I didn't have to bend over and dance with her. So he acknowledged their relations. He said, she didn't tell me anything about you. I said, that's what I heard. I heard you were married at the time. And he just, we, we visited for 45 minutes. He let me take his picture, and I went on my merry way. And we really haven't had, I've tried to kind of open the door for a relationship, and he is basically told me to never contact him again. He doesn't want anything to do with me. So that's what that was like with, with them both. You went straight from her funeral to his house, basically. Met yep. him, got the photo, and were rejected, and that's been and that was it. That's crazy. Yep. Yep. I, 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 I had a decision drive three hours out of the way. I had to drive all the way home to Kentucky from Iowa, and I could drive three hours out of the way to show up at his door, and that was going to make me backtrack literally three more hours into a 13-hour drive. Um, and I did it just so that I could see his face, just so I could see him one time. And I did not announce myself that I was coming. He had no idea I was coming. I didn't know what I was getting myself into. My desire to see his face one time was bigger than any fear that I could have possibly had. Pam was rejected by her birth father immediately after they met, which followed a long period of Pam never accepting that her birth mother had rejected her too. But she admitted that when she empathized with her birth mother, she realized that the woman wasn't really rejecting her as a person. She was disappointed in the truth of Pam's life, which was in conflict with the narrative she had been sold. 
seemingly bought into about adoption, and likely fantasized in her own head about her daughter's life after they parted. We adoptees often live with fantasies about who our birth parents might be, but it's also likely that our birth parents have fantasies about how our lives turned out as well. I thought it was really wise of Pam to reach a point where she recognized the rejection she felt wasn't personal. Empathy is something Pam has had to rely on for her own healing. It was, it was all part of the healing process, and, and I know that um, I've had to do that with my adopted mother as well. I have had to put myself in her shoes and try to have empathy and understanding for her mental illness. I've had to do that with my birth mother and take myself all the way back to her childhood and, and really try to dig deep and find as much information as I can on her parents and their parents and her upbringing and what was her life like? Why did she drink alcohol every day of her life? Where did her pain come from? Because I was sitting with the same pain she was, but it was just different pain and she never had the resources or the tools or the help or the desire or the will to step outside of alcohol to get help for herself. So it brought me healing just to dig deep and put myself in her shoes. And, and one of the things I recommend to adoptees is to read The Girls That Went Away because that book really helped me a lot to be able to get birth mothers' perspectives on why they relinquished in that era and the time, you know, back in the 50s, 60s, 70s was so different than now. So I could have stayed mad at her forever, but the truth and reality is I, I loved her and I wanted her in my life, but she couldn't allow me to be in her life, but it was because of her pain um, and her decision, because she, reality is she didn't even know me to reject me. She's rejecting exactly what she said, the whole, the whole shebang, but it wasn't, it wasn't me personally, because she didn't know me. Yeah, The Girls Who Went Away was a really powerful read for me, too. It was eye-opening for me to hear these stories directly from the women's mouths as to how they were treated the circumstances for their pregnancies and how they were in many ways coerced into relinquishing their child, either because they were sold that their life would be, their own life would be completely damaged or that the child's life could be so much better with someone else. And right. there were so many sort of falsehoods that were put forth during especially that era and seemingly some continue today in various areas of adoption but that book was was incredibly powerful for helping me to see sort of what the the possibilities were for other women's experiences in relinquishing children and and I'll say too you know I've said before I help I helped a, a D Yvonne Rivers start the Birth Moms Real Talk podcast and they're talking about their own stories now over on that show. And I think it's a powerful sort of continuation of this girls who went away, sort of eye-opening behind the curtain, behind, you know, the secrets. Here's what I'm really feeling as a, as a birth mom. So there continue to be resources coming out that are supporting everybody and understanding what the actual story was versus sort of what the quote-unquote narrative is. So I'm glad for her and that and that show for that very reason because it helps us to empathize with what the actual possibilities were you know what I mean right right and it helps you not get stuck in the pain yeah. it helps you move move through it we talked about the despair in Pam's life and the work she's done to empathize and heal from it all 
that feeling has manifested itself in some very positive work, which is important to highlight here as well. She's done some amazing things like create Adoptees Connect and Adoptee Remembrance Day on October 30th. I asked Pam to elaborate on her work. Sure, no problem. Thank you. So Adoptees Connect was actually started in 2017, but then the end of 2017, it kind of took off like wildfire. And I decided that if if I was going to keep being able to pull this off, I had to go the nonprofit route. So I went ahead and created a nonprofit. So Adoptees Connect is a nonprofit um, organization. And the whole idea behind it is we've built adoptee connections on the internet known as adoptee land or you know however people refer to their relationships online but as I was in that dark place and I couldn't get on the internet to ask for help I wanted to create in-person connect groups where we meet in person and we get to know the person behind the profile so that is the core vision and mission is we meet once a month in person we have a small group format and we also have friends and family activities or do fun things together we sometimes go out to eat we sometimes go have coffee we go hiking we go bowling the possibilities are endless but you're um, connecting with adult adoptees 18 or over in your community and the groups are location specific with the groups now that have been planted or are sprouting up I mean we've got you know three years now of feedback and it's it's positive 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 experiences with adoptees being able to connect with other adoptees and in, in person the the online dynamic is a wonderful thing but meeting in person and being able to actually, hey, let's go for a walk today. Hey, you know, we actually check on each other. If we, if I don't hear from my adoptee friends that live in my city in a couple day period, something's wrong. Like I'm, we're checking on each other. We're pulling each other out when we have a, a dark season. We're now I'm showing up at your door. We're going for a walk. We're going to get brunch. You're going to tell me all about it. Like it's, it's so different. And, you know, my desire to have that in my community didn't just stop with me. I wanted all adoptees to be able to have that in their communities. So, you know, there is the Adoptees Connect website, which has a start an affiliate tab on it and a volunteer application where anybody can go to find out details about starting their own group in their community. I know it's been life-saving for many, many of us. And you can follow us on, you know, social media, Instagram, Facebook, and Look at some of the pictures of the adoptees connecting in person around the country, and it's miraculous. It's what's happening. We are just getting started because we want a community in every city and every state and around the United States um, and beyond. So we have a lot of work to do, but but slowly the groups are growing now that people are meeting in person again. So that's that's a little bit about Adoptees Connect. It's it's been a wonderful thing so far, and we plan on keeping it going um, as long as possible. That's really incredible. I love it. And it sounds so fun and supportive and awesome. And I hope one day to connect with some folks from Adoptees Connect in my own area just to get out and, and meet other adoptees. Because it is, you're right, it's it's fun. There's a the kinship to adopted people, right? We all know one another's experience. And it just automatically makes you sort of connected in a way that I've yes. not really felt like. I would imagine it's similar there must be some similar dynamic between, let's say, Oregon transplantees or something like that. Like there's right. where you're so unique in in the thing that you've been through that you're automatically connected. And, right. And and it's it's incredibly valuable, as you've said, to actually have physical community versus online community, which is valuable all too. But 
it's not the same. And I think that's so right. dope that you guys are getting out yes. getting with each other and, and, you know, having fun, but also being supportive. It's really amazing. Right. And, and we have a, a group listing on the website as well. If anybody's interested in seeing if we have a group in their area, it's on the website under group locations and our, all of our facilitators um, and volunteers are amazing, wonderful human beings. We're so thankful to have them. So yeah, it's an awesome vision. So one of the other pieces of your journey was this moment of being at the edge. And there have been a lot of adoptees who have not come back from their attempt at suicide and, and have sadly seen it through. But you've created a Remembrance Day for those that we've lost. Why don't you tell me a little bit about Adoptee Remembrance Day? I would be happy to. Adoptee Remembrance Day is basically a chance for non-adopted people to listen to adoptees before it's too late. A lot of us are trying to share our messages, um, especially around National Adoption Awareness Month in November, and I kept finding myself having all these projects every year and just totally getting drowned out by the, the pro-adoption narrative. And I would pour so much into it that to raise adoptee voices that I would be so depleted at the end of uh, November that I would literally go offline till next year, every year. And I decided I can't continue to do this for my mental health but there's also another dynamic like like why aren't we setting a day aside to acknowledge the truth um, and realities of this side of adoption that always gets swept under the rug I knew that for me personally it couldn't be more than a day because the topic in nature is so heavy but there are other people that are doing that which I think is wonderful and I commend them for that but this day specifically is designed to have anyone out there put themselves in an adoptee's shoes for one day to maybe seek out adoptee remembrance day posts on social media to maybe they have a story of their own as far as an adoptee that you know they they've lost in their life it's a day to reflect on any adoptees that we've lost by suicide or there's a lot of adoptees that are being deported because their citizenship has failed because of mistakes of their attorneys or their adoptive parents. That's a whole thing that's happening every single day with that community of adoptees. We need to recognize that on Adoptee Remembrance Day. It's also for us to recognize the loss in adoption, that before any adoptee is ever adopted, we experience the biggest loss of our lives, and that is our ties to our roots, our history, relationships with all of the, the people that are biologically connected through us, by DNA to us. And it's also a day to recognize um, that a lot of times adoptees are murdered by their adopted parents or they're abused. They, they grow up in adopted abusive homes. And, you know, all of these dynamics are very, very personal to me because I fit into a lot of them. A lot of the stories that I've heard from adoptees over the years, they fit into them. To be quite honest, I don't know any adoptees that don't fit into them in some way. It's also a day to recognize that prisons, jails, treatment facilities, and mental health facilities are overpopulated with adopted people and we're four times more likely to attempt suicide um, than non-adopted people. And so this day is an, a day to encourage adoptees to speak up and share their truth in whatever way comes the most natural to them. And we set it for October 30th. So 
it would kind of really just take over the airways before National Adoption Awareness Month. And anyone that wants to participate can kind of pour their energy into that day. And I personally give adoptees encouragement to take a break for NAM, to not overdo yourselves. I worry about the mental health of adoptees that are pouring themselves out into those months because it's really, really emotionally draining. And I know everybody's going to do what they're going to do, but I just encourage them to take care of themselves. But that's basically what Adoptee Remembrance Day is about. There's a lot of ways to get involved. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And and I plan to get involved. You and I have been talking a little bit about it. And I'm going to invite folks who have stories to share about their own struggle, either with abuse attempted suicide, whatever the thing is, to come forward and share a little bit about how you have navigated that. And and I think as I'm sitting here, I'm looking at AdoptiesConnect.com and the Adoptee Remembrance Day page. And mm-hmm. I think I'm going to create a link on my page to your page for October so that fe- people can understand that this is coming for our October 30th. So I'm going to partner with you on that if that's cool. That would be, yeah, that would be awesome. And you can actually, we actually created, well, I actually created um, AdopteeRemembranceDay.com. So you can link either to Adoptees Connect if you want, or AdopteeRemembranceDay.com is now active and literally filled with information on how to get involved that day. That's awesome. I will do that. Wow. Pam, this has been absolutely incredible. I just... I'm so sorry for all that you endured, but it's so, I don't know how best to say this, but to know that what you endured brought you to this place of all of this great work for adoptees is really inspirational. It's incredible, you know? Thank you so much. And I I do want to share that I'm not sitting in that pain anymore. I have, I have been at one of the shifting dynamics to me healing was stepping into a space that nobody told me this. I had to figure it out on my own, and it's really important to share it because I was actually, a lot of my life, I was actually grieving. And if we can tap into the grief and loss process and apply it to our adoptee stories and really allow ourselves to sit with the pain and the tears and the the sadness and the dark days, because they're going to come, there's going to be dark days, sit with it, embrace it, write about it, talk about it, cry about it, whatever you need to do, pick yourself back up and move along till the next time comes. Because it's like we run a rat race trying to be healed. Like I want this to just all go away and one day I'm going to be healed. And for me personally, reality is this is going to be a lifelong thing and the biggest part of it for me was the grief and loss and and accepting that I'm gonna deal with this grief and loss for the rest of my life but creating space to actually find who I am outside of this history that I have and embracing life because there really are a lot of beautiful things out there and and life is a beautiful thing and so I just wanted to share that we can all, you know, kind of step into a space of evaluating, is this grief? Is this loss? What does that process look like when it comes to the adoptee experience? And really accepting that it's here to stay. And and I found that I was more concerned for many years of trying to get it to disappear than I was welcoming it, sitting with it, acknowledging it, and crying with it or being sad with it, you know? So that is a really important part because it it helps us not feel so 
defective, I guess, because I, I use, I, I always said I felt so defective. And um, now that I'm understanding these dynamics a lot better, it is perfectly normal and natural. Every single way any adoptee feels about anything to do with their adoption experience is normal for a not normal situation. And there's nothing normal about adoption and being separated from our roots at the beginning of our life. So anyway, just a little message of hope, I guess, for any adoptees that might be listening that are hurting or sitting there in pain where I was at back in 2017, you know, resources are being built. The adoptee community is bringing all of this to life and it's not going to be the same way that it was when I was growing up. And I'm so thankful for that. And thank you for all you do, Damon, for your podcast and for sharing so many voices my pleasure and you will always hear me say it's a it's a project of passion and i feel so fortunate that people open up and trust me to help tell their story and i'm so grateful to you for coming on and and opening up about everything that you've been through i really appreciate it this has been fascinating oh you're welcome i'm honored to share it and i'm honored to be here to be able to share it oh my gosh me too i'm so thankful that you're here to be able to share it and for all that you've created pam I wish you Thank all you the so best. Much. Of course. You take care. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. You too. Take care then. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Hey, it's me. Pam lived the opposite of the beautiful narrative of adoption that so many birth parents are led to believe will be the story of their child's life. She was raised by a woman who struggled with her own mental health, which challenged Pam's in the process. I really admired that when Pam learned that her birth parents were addicted to alcohol and she saw herself on the same path, she changed course so she could be the best version of herself for her children. It takes a lot of strength to see a quality in yourself that you don't like, then actively make a change to be a better person in a new way. Pam turned her energy toward creating a special day for us all to recognize the trauma of adoption and Remember adoptees we've lost along their journeys. October 30th is Adoptee Remembrance Day. You can find information about this special day online at adoptee-remembrance-day.com and follow and share things about your own life using the hashtag adoptee-remembrance-day on social media. If you'd like to find or start an Adoptees Connect group to support adoptees in your local area, you can get more information at adopteesconnect.com. I'm Damon Davis, and I hope you found something in Pam's journey that inspired you, validated your feelings about wanting to search, or motivates you to have the strength along your journey to learn. Who am I, really? Really?